I started this podcast because I wanted to talk to people that I think are living interesting lives, whether through their work or their hobbies. I believe that everyone has a story to tell, and to be able to give my guests so far and upcoming a platform to tell it has been an amazing feeling. So in a previous intro, I mentioned that I don't see myself as a journalist yet, but more as a storyteller. So it's only fitting that my guest today is a storyteller from behind the scenes and on the stage. Sophie Mashovsky and I shared a couple of years of high school together. And while we might have walked down the same hallways, sat in the same cafeteria, and even shared some friends, we never shared a conversation with each other until now. So since her departure from Sunset High School, I kept up with her activities through social media, and I knew she was doing great things as an actor as she's progressing through the industry. And while she is still acting, she has branched off and started a production company with her friend Caitlin Farley called Fight the Good Fight. Their mission statement is just absolutely amazing because they want to give women more opportunities in this industry and you know, whether that is stagehand, writing, directing, or just being in front of the camera, they are the people to talk to to get your start. So if this is something you're interested in, I urge you to check out the link in the description below that will take you to their Facebook page where you can just start talking to people because you never know where this connection could lead you down the road. Sophie and Kaylin, they both have a monthly club called Fight Club. And it's not like the movie where, you know, you people hit each other. So um, it's where you would go to pitch your story ideas and just grow as storytellers while accepting feedback and just growing and absorbing. Because, again, these connections, you don't know where they'll take you, but you... It's always a good idea to make them. So, whether you are listening to this interview through Spotify and iTunes, or you're watching this on YouTube, I hope you enjoy my chat with Sophie Mashovsky. While we were trying to schedule this interview, you told me that you are in a book club. Uh, can you explain to me how you came across this book club? And I assume the book club's located in New York. How was it you know, operating with COVID and keeping the book club going? Oh, okay. I think you might be talking about Fight Club. Fight so club. this is uh, a writer's group, actually, that we started. Um, so... My partner, Caitlin Farley, and I, who started Fight the Good Fight Productions with me, which we can talk about later, started a women's writers group. Um, and we, this was like about a year and a half ago, we wanted a place for women in theater and film to have a safe space to create um, and get feedback on their scripts or concepts for TV shows or plays. Um, so that was the scheduling conflict with you and I, um, we usually do it once a month on Sundays and now since COVID hit, we've been doing it every two weeks. So, um, we finally got to fit this interview in, which I'm very excited about. <laughs> yeah. Has it been difficult to keep it fresh like twice a month versus just once a month or has it just 
you know, flown by? So I was curious to see how that would go. Um, initially, we reached out to regular members of our group um, and asked if they'd be interested in um, upping the frequency of our meetings. And the overwhelming response was, yes, please. Oh my God, we're dying. We have nothing to put our creativity into right now, please. Um, and I thought that over time, people might get tired and want to go back to once a month, but people are still going strong. Content is being created. Um, even if there's not anywhere to put it right now, people's minds are, um, are still being put to good use. So it's exciting. Uh, and how important is this fight club book or in fight club group to you? It is one of my main sources of joy. It's really exciting to go to group, meet up with fellow creatives. Some, there's always someone new every time. Um, it's like usually a friend of a friend or someone who hears about us on Instagram. Um, but especially in a time like now in a global pandemic and uh, Black Lives Matter movement and um, a lot of things that people don't really uh, get to turn into art yet, if you know what I mean. Um, movies and plays are not able to be created right now. So being able to channel our artistic response to that um, and share it within the group has been incredible. Um, so it means the world to me. It's like my number one source of creativity right now, which is awesome. And it's, it's exciting that other people feel that way as well. Yeah. And, you know, with COVID and Black Lives Matter movement, how, A, how was it getting from Oregon to New York? And then B, what have you seen as far as the movements over there across country? It was so interesting um, to have everything hit and to be in Portland. Portland's my first home, but I've been in New York for uh a little over seven years, I think, right? I graduated in 2013, <laughs> or a little under seven years. Um, and I just wanted to be back here fighting for my city, even though this is global, it's a, it's this like craving in my heart that I wanna be a part of things out here. Um, I have to be honest, since coming back, the city looks so different than what I'm used to, because I got out right at the beginning of COVID. Um, so walking around and seeing the changes in the community and um, everyone's wearing masks, uh, but people are out, which is different than it was right before I left. It was like a ghost town before. Um, but I, I'm curious to see what else is new. Uh, but yeah, right now my answer is it's so different <laughs> and I feel really strange, but I'm excited to be back in my home. Yeah. Now, um, how has the rally for Black Lives Matter been? I assume it's not going to, you don't have an answer for this right now since you just got back. Um, yeah. But what have you seen through social media uh, as far yeah, as the protests so, there? Yeah, my friends are out all the time. Um, a couple of my friends are um, doing water, snack, and sunscreen 
hand sanitizer distribution. So once I get settled, I have plans to go out with uh, my friend Hayden on Tuesday. They're out right now, actually, but um, I was like, oh, sorry, I, I can't join <laughs> you today. But I, New York is, is strong. Um, rallies and protests are happening in every single borough, like multiple. Um, and everyone is uh, pretty resilient as far as like keeping the movement going, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of times people get excited initially and then things kind of peter out, but I really anticipate New York remaining strong um, until needs are met. And if they're not, they're going to keep fighting because that's how New Yorkers do. <laughs> You know, that fighting spirit has kind of spread across the country because uh, I've been keeping up with OregonLive.com and just seeing the protests kind of from afar. Um, and yeah. it's gone on for, I believe, 17, 18 consecutive nights so far. So I'm like, oh, wow. That's it's uh, exciting. That's, whew, that's a lot. Let's keep going. Seriously, we're, we're in a time where I really think this is a rebirth of mm -hmm. the world. And I'm really excited to be almost my birthday is coming up almost 29 um <laughs> in this time because i feel like we're at an age where we've we've been adults for a while where we've been able to form our own opinions about life and what's important and what matter and who matters and that is i think it's an exciting and important position to be in um during the movement of whatever this rebirth is about to be <laughs> That's so cool. Do you have any fears about it? Because I have been asked to participate in protests in Portland, but I have a slight anxiety towards big crowds and that whole uncertainty of something could go south and then next thing you know, A, B, C, D, E, F, G is going on. Um, do you have any fears? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I do and I don't. Um, I'm always a little apprehensive as well with large crowds, even though what I do often has to do with crowds. Um, I'm not concerned about the people that are protesting. I'm concerned about, uh, I'm concerned about the police and I'm concerned about um, aggravators coming in and getting things out of hand. But I think for me, and this, this is different for everyone, but I haven't always been a protest person. My first march was the Women's March in New York. Um, and I was so amazed at the organization and the um, support of everyone involved in that protest that I think it over overmines my fear that something could go south. Um, that being said, a couple of my friends were arrested for doing literally nothing. So sure, there are fears. Um, but for me, I think it's important that I'm out there with my city and um, showing my support out on the streets. But there are so many different like avenues for this movement that it doesn't, not everyone can be on the streets. Some people are disabled. Some people have anxiety or um, like claustrophobia even. There are so many different ways to be a part of a movement, you know? Yeah, no, definitely. And I did, uh, I believe, yeah, there's petitions to sign because I signed the one for color change. And uh, I was like, you know, if I'm going to 
have this platform where I can talk to people like yourself about this issue, then I want to make sure I'm doing my part as well and supporting. And if I am a kind of frightened to the idea of being in that giant crowd, then I'll, there's a lot of other channels. And luckily, yeah, you literally have a microphone and a platform. <laughs> All right. So let's, uh, again, this podcast is about you. This is uh, <laughs> just everything about you. Um, All right. And I'm happy that this is a part of you as far as something you're passionate about as far as being a part of your community. But I need to ask you, you know, <laughs> when is the earliest signs that you can think of where you thought that, oh, I'm pretty outgoing. Oh, I can probably be in front of people and talk to people and I can, you know, be very creative. And how did you get your start, basically, is what I'm asking in the being in front of people business? Sure. Um, I think my start is different from my initial draw. Um, when I was a kid, there's a story my dad loves to tell. Um, I would dance in the middle of the old spaghetti factory um, out by like Regal Evergreen Theater. Yep. And the people at the tables would like watch and do like little claps for me and I'd keep dancing and my dad would say, Sophie, come on down and sit at the table. And I was like, dad, no, they like it. So I don't think there was ever a time in my life when I was not comfortable being in front of people. But as far as my start and what made me think I want to do theater or film, um, that was actually at Sunset, where we went to school together. Because um, up until then, I had danced, I had sung, I'd done plays. But when I did Oklahoma my sophomore year with Mr. Bray as our director, um, something clicked and I saw the effects that we had on the audience and that we had the ability to make people happy um, or think or just affect people. Um, and that buzz, I was like, oh, okay, this is something that I can use that I'm good at and then be a part of something that like changes a person's mind or just like emotionally affects someone. Um, and he talked to my parents and he'd been in the business in LA and he was like, your daughter could do this if she wants. You just have to look into schools and like find your path, but she could do this. So that was kind of the beginning of when it switched from something fun to something that I would pursue for a career. Now, when you had that conversation with your family and tell them like, hey, I want to pursue this, were there any skeptics in the room? Were there any like, hey, <laughs> you should maybe go towards something that has an immediate, you know, they say immediate financial uh, benefits? Because I know when I went to say, hey, I want to be, I think at first I wanted to be in marketing, but then mm -hmm. my mom was like, hey, you're athletic. You should be a cop. I was like, um, I <laughs> Or she's like, hey, <laughs> you take a lot of medicine. You should be a doctor. It's like, mm, no. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> um, I have to say I'm one of the lucky ones. My parents were so incredibly supportive um, from the get-go. We knew nothing. Um, my whole family is like uh, 
a science family and uh, we, we come from a long line of practical people. Uh, so this whole art thing, my dad was like, you know, I don't get this at all, but I'm going to go on these forums and see what these other parents are saying about college auditions. And we're going to figure this out together. And we, you know, it was a lot of trial and error. And if we knew a little bit more about the business maybe I would be in a different position or would have gone to a different school or I don't know, but everything I think worked out the way that it was supposed to. And I have them to thank for so very much of this journey. Yeah, I think they were nervous. It's not an easy <laughs> career, but they were, they were always supportive, which is great. Especially with you being across the country, that's got to be a little hard on them. But, you know, they have the Zoom chats like we're doing right now or yes. Skypes to keep in contact. How have they been? Have you seen them maybe have a little more stress because you're across the country, especially right now? You know, like I, I told you before we started, um, I was home for almost 10 weeks during all of this. Um, and they kind of they were in tune with me. They kind of felt when my mentality switched and my heart was in New York and they're always, they're always nervous for me. Um, but they know that this is where I belong. And, um, I mean, I was on the phone with my mom this morning. We were both crying cause we already miss each other. So it's, <laughs> I think that's the main thing is we just miss each other's presence. Um, and that's part of part of the sacrifice of doing something like this is you have to go where where the people are that are doing what you do, you know. Exactly, and then <clears throat> you know from all sorts of movies I see uh, have the actor actor you know playing an actor trying to make it in this industry, a lot of auditions and a lot of slam doors in the face. How, oh, yeah. how, how did you handle that kind of rejection and just find that resilience? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you used that word. That is, that is an important word. Um, okay. So <laughs> my first three years in New York were, I have to tell you, kind of a slap in the face. Um, up until that point, I had learned that if you work hard and you have passion and talent, that you will be rewarded for that. And then I came to New York and I worked harder than I ever had. I had a lot of passion. Uh, I thought I had talent. I, I think I have talent. It's just kind of weird for me to say, but um, <laughs> I know I'm good at what I do and I wasn't rewarded for it. And um, that was something really important to learn that the world works a little bit differently than say like your family support system or your your little bubble of school um and that even though you're good at what you do and you work really hard for it you might not get something the way you hope or anticipate um so the the business is really tough um my first three years aside from one fluke commercial that was like amazing but that I literally got tricked into being it. It was like one of those hidden camera, real people, not actor things. But then it made me SAG eligible, which is um, the union for screen actors. So that was like 
my first two months in and I was like, New York is amazing. It loves me. I'm going to get my start right away and I'm going to be one of those success stories. And then I got nothing. I like, I sang in bars and I did a bunch of weird basement theater and um, guerrilla theater in the park. And like, I did all of these quote unquote small projects that I, I don't think would mean a lot on paper, but they developed this resiliency, like you said, and I found um, what my friend Bennett calls the underbelly of New York, which is all of the artists who moved to New York to do something and haven't made it big yet, but they're really good at what they do. So there's this community of people that are making incredible stuff um, and then I fell in love with the city and was happy with, with being in this position, with just making the work because I love the work and not trying to become famous or trying to, uh, be on Broadway right away or whatever. Um, I found the real New York through not getting success right away, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean... You know, you can say, for example, you know, I played football in high school or I guess at sunset with you. Let me try we again. We played football together. <laughs> Yay. I actually played football with your brother. Uh, I think for- with Sam. Yeah, with Sam. Like, he was just like a, I believe, freshman. I was a sophomore, junior. I know, I was a junior because he's two years younger. So yeah, we kind of interlink that way. But, you know, those high school football players, they say they want to play in the NFL. They say they have all these great dreams, but it's- they tend to like over overlook that hard grind mode that gets them to there. Like even the jump from like, let's say high school football to college football, you have to grind and you have to go yeah. through those struggles. And then once you get to college, that's when you start turning it on and it looks like you found your moment where you turned it on. <laughs> Definitely. I, I've always known how to work hard, but I learned that my pathway looks a lot different than what I thought it was going to be when I was like 17, you know? And I love it all the more for that. Exactly. It makes you really appreciate where you are right now versus like, you know, during the crap, you're just like, you just think about the crap. You don't think (laughs) there's a goal, there's a shiny thing at the end of this tunnel. (laughs) Right. Who knows what that shiny thing is? It might be different. (laughs) Yeah, 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 for sure. So... You mentioned Bennett uh, when he talked to you about basically the grind and all that. Mm-hmm. How how was it just jumping across the country again and trying to rebuild your kind of friendship circle? Uh, did anyone from Sunset follow you or from college, you know, reach out with you? Um, so when I came to New York, I I came from Oklahoma City University, which has a huge community. Um, of people from our programs out here. So my school had an acting program, a musical theater program, and a dance program. I was in the acting program, and um, most of my class moved to Chicago or LA because our certain, our particular department had more connections out there. But I'd felt this pull to New York, so I came to New York, and I had a couple really, really wonderful best friends. Um, 
one friend, Nicole in particular, she's a friend from college uh, for my sorority. She was my big sister. Mm-hmm. And we have been going strong for however long, 11 years that I've been out of high school. Um, she was huge in my transition because she had been living in New York for two years already, knew the ropes of the audition circuit, knew the best coffee shops and fun bars. Um, so she took me under her wing for a little bit. Um, and then she, she started getting tours and getting things outside of New York. Um, and through the, the friends that I was telling you about before, like in the basement theater and singing in bars and things like that, I started to meet people little by little. Um, and now I have this community in New York that I've met just because I'm out here doing what I do the way I do it. And I'm coming across people in my path that are sick. They're so cool. Um, so I, I don't have a ton of connections from school or like past Sophie life. It's kind of this new community that I've found out here that I'm in love with. Yeah. And usually you just said you met people that are you know sick and now obviously in the good term sick. Um, yeah. Some of them got the Rona, but they're doing okay. They're all fine and healthy. They're all good. Now, have you met anyone that you've kind of saw as like a mentor or just leached onto to try to help yourself grow in this career and maybe as a person also? Um, yeah, I mean, I have a couple coaches that I really look up to. Um, one in particular, this woman named Peter Pamela Rose, I took her class. Um, it was a weekend intensive called uh, Business for the Actor. Nope. Actor Business boot camp. So it basically, she, she teaches that actors, artists, performers teach this one language or uh, speak this one language. Let's say it's French and um, casting directors, agents, people that are going to get us jobs, speak another language. That's Spanish, for example. So she teaches this class in order to help artists speak the language of the people that keep this business running um, and kind of bridge the gap between, I like what I do, I'm good what I do, but how do I make that work for me and how do I make a living off of it? So she was pretty instrumental um, and helped me learn how to get my first agent and learn the tricks of the trade that I'm still learning every day. I mean, it it changes all the time. Um, But aside from that, I have to say, just like the friends that I've met out here, the people that are creating their own work, um, that I saw doing that before I did it, um, they, they kind of mentor me on the daily. We mentor each other. We're learning as we go um, how to make art that is valid and important. And um, yeah, the community kind of mentors me, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's just like when you're back in school, you know, you go to, let's say, a counselor at first, and then they open up all this network of people that can, you can talk to. Uh, obviously, it's up to you to reach out to those people because, you know, they don't know, you, they don't know that you need their help until you say right. something. Yeah, exactly. 
So you have done some theater work. Uh, so again, I apologize for, you know, kind of categorizing that as all Broadway. Um, oh, that's okay. <laughs> I, I believe so. I, I took a look at your website and then I kind of jot some notes as far as what you have been in. It looks like in uh, August 2018, you were in Anything You Can Do. And then again, more, a little more recent, January 2019, Anything You Can Do Again. So that's part, <laughs> part two. Uh, and then it uh, looks like you were in British farce in June, so last year at this time, as uh, Sibella Howard? Yeah. Kind of <laughs> it looks like, uh, again, in that research, I did see that you worked with Wolfbane Productions in a lot of those. What was about that production agency that you were just like, well, I like these guys. Let's keep working with them. Wolfbane's incredible. So Wolfbane Productions is this small immersive theater in Appomattox, Virginia, which is teeny tiny. Um, I had never heard of them before, but I saw, God, three years ago, I think, that they were doing this adapted version of Romeo and Juliet set in the Civil War. And I was like, cool, interesting. And then they were like, it's actually going to be at the historic monument in Virginia. And I was like, wow, even cooler site-specific theater this is amazing so i looked into them and then i saw that they were doing another production that summer called evil dead the musical and i was like what is this this is so weird so of course i applied um and i found out like years later that i wasn't even going to get an audition but i knew a friend of theirs and saw her name on their um on their audition notice that she was helping them out with casting. So she told them to give me an audition. Um, I make it in like by fluke and ended up working for them very consistently for the last three years. So my first production with them was Evil Dead, which is, you know that Evil Dead the movie is a parody of horror films. Evil Dead the musical is a parody of a parody of horror films <laughs> set to music. So they've got this outdoor space in the middle of the woods and um, the musical like starts out with five of us driving in, in a Jeep, hanging off, singing and dancing. Um, and the show is just the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Like I promise it is ri more ridiculous than anything you've ever experienced to the point where we like, we have, <laughs> the show has a, a blood zone in the first 20 seats, so, or a splatter zone. So if you sit there, you'll probably get splattered with like a super soaker full of fake blood or like a water balloon that has fake blood in it. And by the end, we're all covered. It's disgusting <laughs> and ridiculous. And that kind of is what Wolfbane is like. They take shows that are weird or they take classics and develop them to be an immersive experience. So it's not the theater that you think you know. Um, so yeah, I, I got to do that with them. Um, everything happened with them by fluke the first year. So I did that. Then the next production they did right after Evil Dead was Rocky Horror. I was never cast in that. But after Evil Dead, their Columbia dropped like a week before the production. So I'd fallen in love with Virginia. I'd fallen in love with Wolfbane. I left, I was back in the city um, and I get a call saying, hey, do you wanna come back and be in Rocky? And I was like, yeah, 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 for sure. 
And I worked for them consistently for the last three years. They gave me um, incredible roles that I don't know if other theaters would hire me for, but because they know my abilities, um, they keep bringing me back. And I'm really thankful for that. I think, um, like, I, I got to play so many women's dream role of Sally Bowles in Cabaret. And I don't know if anyone else would look at me for that because I'm not typical of what you would think for her, but they let me do it. And um, yeah, it, they're, they've been amazing. They've been instrumental in my theater career, which is a blessing. <laughs> so using the Evil Dead as an example, how have you been as preparing for participating in a play like that because i've seen evil dead i've seen the both the original and the rendition and then the tv show recently again so i i, I when you said there's a lot of blood i was like yep that sounds about right how, how did you prepare how did you prepare for that role um and kind of get in that mindset of being able to deal with all the horror, sure i mean yeah it the musical is more funny than anything so the blood is a gag essentially um, but I played Annie and Shelly, so it was a dual role, um, because in the musical, Shelly is a pretty small role in the very beginning, because she gets killed right away. Um, and, well, she gets attacked by a zombie and then turns into a zombie, yes. and then comes yes. and does this sexy number as a zombie, so it's super <laughs> fun. There you go. <laughs> um, so we... Wolfbane works pretty quickly in their rehearsal process. So um, we start off by doing blocking, which is learning where you go and when you go there. Um, basically, cross stage right, do the thing, cross over here, this is your dance number. So it's a lot of quick assimilation um, and just writing things down um, as fast as possible. Uh, Dustin, the artistic director, moves very quickly in this part of the process so that we can retain, 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 memorize the movement so that we can take our scripts out of our hands and start what he calls playing. So um, you have to be really on top of it in the very beginning of rehearsal, come prepared with um, your role, pretty comfortable already in, in your being. Um, and then be open-minded to changes and caffeinated and well-rested <laughs> so that you can retain a shit ton of information in a very small amount of time. Then uh, with Evil Dead, you know, we did music rehearsals, we did dance rehearsals. Um, about five days before we opened, we did uh, one, <laughs> it called it blood rehearsal so we basically did every moment that would be with blood we first did it just with water just to like get it down and then two days before we opened we had the actual blood in there to see what it was like it was weird man <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird time and i will never forget it <laughs> so let's imagine that you're just walking down street you have a straight focus and then you get hit with a water balloon obviously it's gonna snap you out you're gonna be really caught off guard how did you stay in character when blood was getting poured on you because if that was me i'd just be like what oh i'm so disoriented right now it was wild um 
there was one moment that was really hard to stay in character because I basically looked down this corridor and I'm looking for Ash and all that comes up is my two actor friends down there with super soakers full of blood. Actually, one was an actor, one was a stage manager. And they have super soakers of fake blood that they just squirt me with that douses my entire body. <laughs> and the audience is new every night. So they're freaking out because they think it's hilarious that this girl's just being like showered with blood on stage. And it, it was hard. I mean, sometimes I had to turn my head to the back because it, it's funny. Like, it's a funny thing to see and go through. Um, but, you know, you, it becomes second nature. Breaking character um, is, is always a challenge as an actor because sometimes your co-actors are so funny that it's hard not to smirk at them. So, you know, it's just another skill that you have to develop um, to remain professional. Yeah, just be able to turn it on off like that. And, yeah. Uh, that reminds me on like Saturday Night Live, you know, the weekend update <laughs> with Stefan. <laughs> the best parts are always where he had to like cover his face because he was laughing and just how ridiculous what he said the following sentence was. I was like, oh. Exactly. Well, and with Wolfbane, you know, with their comedies, uh, like, like Evil Dead or Rocky, sometimes Dustin, our director, would say, this is a world that's safe and you're kind of on the audience's side. So if that happens, just roll with it and, and make it work. Cause there are no, nothing can really go wrong in evil dead is what he said. And yeah. that really freed me up as an actor. It may, it took away a lot of fear of like, Oh, is this too wild? Is this too stupid? Because nothing is. Um, so it kind of brought me to a point as an actor where I could just be as tenacious as I wanted and like do all the crazy things without fear that it would not be appropriate. Yeah. Cause again, you're only you and everyone behind this, the curtain knows that, Oh, she's breaking character, but everyone in front, you know, watching you, they're just like, this must be part of it. Let's just keep <laughs> going. <laughs> yeah. So you had an appearance, I guess, a kind of a reoccurring appearance in the web series Outcast. Can you tell me yeah. about how was how'd you get in touch with the woman? Uh, I did not write down her name. That Daisy. Daisy. How did you get in touch with Daisy and get on her series? Yeah. So I um I had a very small role. I was a day player on Outcast. Um, Daisy Hobbs is an incredible actor comedian, writer, director in New York. Um, we met in a class, in a musical theater class, um, and she wrote this musical web series called Outcast about being a black soprano in the musical theater industry. Um, so her whole series revolves around her real life experiences in the audition room. Um, and honestly, a ton of, um, like microaggressions that people don't really realize they are putting on her as a black soprano. So her, ex in her experience, she found that, uh, people wanted her to be more R&B and not sing with her natural soprano, beautiful voice that she had. Um, and she wasn't getting to audition for certain roles that she wanted to. So this was a couple years ago. Um, we had met 
maybe a couple months before she started shooting for this and she invited me to come play one of um, the women that she met at one of her auditions. Um, so yeah, it was a quick scene. The scene was we were in a hallway waiting to go in to a room to sing. And I being the annoying bubbly blonde musical theater girl <laughs> character that I was tapped on her shoulder. Um, Cause we're in a line she and it's full of blondes that look like me. And then her in the line in front of me as a black woman going in for the same role. So I tap on her shoulder and I'm like, Hey, what are you singing? And she says, vanilla ice cream. Vanilla Ice Cream is a famous song sung by sopranos in musical theater. It's got this really high note at the end. It's an ingenue song, which um, is, ingenue means like the young virginal character, basically. The doe-eyed, sparkly, young girl. So she says that she'll be singing Vanilla Ice Cream, and I go, oh, cool, like a, like a fun R&B version, like chocolate ice cream? She's like, no, no, just, uh, just vanilla ice cream. So that was that. That was my scene. Um, and I was really thankful that Daisy brought me to be on that show. She's invited me to do a couple other of her sketches um, here and there. She's so funny. Uh, really, really wonderful human to work with. So it was great. It was a wonderful experience. Chocolate ice cream. <laughs> yeah, like so uninformed, so <laughs> thinking she's nice, but really <laughs> not a nice thing to say. No, 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 no. But <clears throat> so after that got released, do you watch your work? I mean, just outside of, let's say, Outcast, when you see yourself, you know, in unfront, unscan, oh. When you see yourself on camera, <laughs> yeah. too, I got too excited. And when you see yourself, on, <laughs> see yourself on camera, do you watch yourself? Does your family watch your work? How how does that support system, you know, feel it? I do. Yeah, I I think it's really important for me to learn um, if I have any any habits that I don't know that I'm doing as an actor or a singer, or. Um, if I think that something I'm doing is, is affecting people, and then if I watch and see that, oh, that actually wasn't as effective as I thought it was, I think it's a really good study tool and very important to watch yourself. Um, my family, yeah, they watch everything. <laughs> if they can get their hands on a tape, they will play it all the time and just <laughs> show it to the aunts and uncles and yeah. uh they're they're great <laughs> but yeah i think it's a, an important tool to learn from yourself yeah so when i work so when i'm let's say when i'm working on this interview uh, mm -hmm. i do i'm just now slightly being okay with watching myself and because obviously with the guests you guys are you know you you're just telling your story you're not trying yeah. to keep things formulaic and in a timeline you know as someone who's trying to compose questions and make sure it sounds coherent that's like the first time i guess second time i watched myself i was like oh god why did i stumble like that <laughs> what am i doing and then right. like this last episode i just released i was just like i wasn't super confident in it because again i was kind of stumbling and then there's some things i forgot and 
I'm just like, oh, but yeah, I agree. It is a great learning tool to help yourself grow because everything we do in life is just about trying to keep growing. Um, Definitely. And if you can get over the whole hearing your own voice and seeing yourself <laughs> on camera, then you're going to be set for life, Sophie. For sure. I rem <laughs> Oh my God. When I first got out here, I, cause I was like theater, theater all the way. It wasn't until a couple years ago that I was like film. Um, but I didn't even like getting my photo taken. I, and as actors, we have to have photos of ourselves to, to use as a marketing tool. Like we walk into an audition and our headshot is stapled to our resume. Like one side is our face and the other side is our credentials. So like half of what we need to get jobs is pictures and videos of ourselves. And oh my God, I was so awkward. I like, I hated looking at pictures of myself cause I would just be like tense and nervous and not know how to like work my angles of the camera. And then I don't know if I got vain or if I just got better at it, but I like something clicked. And I, I do think it was a confidence thing too. Like practice makes progress and uh, yeah, learning, learning to, to learn from my own material and my own bad pictures or bad videos, you know, helped me move forward. <laughs> it wasn't always natural. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah, like my first interview, I was like, okay, I want to make it. I, I was very, I wanted to stick to the script as much as I can. And then it just became super, super rigid. And then now, I don't know if you saw me on a head down, I'm taking notes. I'm, I have a, I had that Google Doc I sent you just so I make sure. Yeah. I it's the perf, it's the chase towards a better that I'm not going to say perfection because it's never going to be perfect. It's the yeah. chase of always trying to be close to like 90 to 100% as far as just being the best you that you can bring out to people. Definitely. And it sounds like that is kind of the angle you took when you started Fight the Good Fight production company, you know, as <laughs> <laughs> lead in. Um, Love it. I saw what you did there. <laughs> so, you know, I got that kind of impression from the start that, you know, you want to give females the opportunity to be in this kind of position that you have spent some time in as far as directing producing writing acting and when i asked you about it, just to make sure i got some of my information correct you sure. said that you <laughs> this idea came about when you spent a year on a disney cruise line so okay backstory <laughs> all right so disney cruise line this was my first big job since moving to new york um, it came after those three years of difficulty in the business, not really getting any headway, then taking that business class for actors, getting my agent, understanding how the business works, and finally booking a big job. Um, Disney was amazing. It was really cool. And I also learned a lot of what I actually want for my career. I, um obviously look back on that, not obviously some, you know, you, you don't know, I'm telling you. Um, I look back on that time with pride and with happiness. I mean, we, I learned how to do a long run of a show. We had zero days off on board. Um, we did two to three shows a night. So I learned how to take care of myself um, and sustain myself as, as my body and my voice are my instrument. 
um, I learned a lot about life and, um, and theater, of course, like when you're performing every single day, some of the, the nerves that I had developed in auditioning and things like that, I was able to handle better because I was just so used to daily being, um, in front of people. Like I still, I always get the rush. The rush never goes away, but, um, yeah, I, I learned a lot about, um, professionalism and main maintenance as an actor. But in that time on Disney, I kind of started to feel like a robot, to be honest, because Disney, and there's nothing against this type of work. It's very hard work. But I realized that I am not fully fulfilled if I am just copying someone else's performance and carrying out movement for movement, kind of robotically, what someone tells me to do not really having freedom as a performer or the ability to take my own spin on things so by the end of my time with disney while i was so grateful for that job i mean it was the highest paid i'd ever been for, to be an actor and um the longest run of a show i'd ever done i realized that it was time for me to start doing work that um that really pulled at my heart and um, was a bit more visceral than like Yzma and Kronk on the evil mobile, you know, um, which was super fun. Had a great time, <laughs> had a really cool feathered, feather collar and cape. Like I'll never forget that. Um, but I started to pursue work that um, was different work, work that, definitely doesn't pay as much but the less mainstream to be honest the more drawn I am to it um I think mainstream theater is important because it it gets people to see theater but I want to see like what I don't know Kenzo in Brooklyn is making in his 10 person seat theater about like what it's like to this that or the other in this pocket of New York or something like I want to see the movement pieces and the films that uh challenge uh mainstream film technique you know so I started to look for those kinds of opportunities <laughs> I realized that there there was a lot of difficulty in in getting in with the right people um or just, I don't know, I, I found it hard to find the people that were doing the kind of work that I wanted to do. Enter Caitlin Farley. So Caitlin and I met at a stage combat audition for a production of um, The Three Musketeers. There were two spots for women and I think 13 or 14 spots for men. Um, it's a stunt show. Um, and since getting back, I was like, I want to get back into my stage combat training and start um, doing things like that because I find that really exciting. I like sword fighting. I like pretending to punch people. It's fun. Um, and we both left that audition at the same time and got to talking on the street because it was 
randomly in this like circus warehouse and I had never been there before. Um, and we were trying to figure out which direction to go to like get out of the neighborhood. And we started talking in the street and she was like, oh, I was going to pop in and grab a coffee if you want to come. And I was like, yeah, sure. Caitlin and I ended up talking for two hours about how there wasn't a lot of opportunity for um, women actor combatants in the industry. And um, she was looking for the kind of work that I wanted to do, edgy, different. Um, and we sat there and we were like, do you want to just like make something? together and we've never met like that was our first day but um I had read this play the night before called LMNOP that I knew I wanted to produce in New York but I didn't know how and after talking to this new person for two and a half hours I was like I think you're the sister of the character that I want to play do you want to read this she read the play that night and a week later we were in our first production meeting um producing a play in New York. Um, so that kind of brought me to be a, a self-creator, I guess. Um, and I would say the rest is history, but it's the history is kind of being written. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, I'm in like my first couple years of being someone who is a creative and not just an actor. But yeah, that's how it all started. Um, and I think that all these opportunities along with your production company that are giving women more chances to be in male dominant industries, you know, like let's say, you know, acting, even for me, like I'm a big sports guy. So, you know, you know, seeing more women on ESPN or NFL network or just talking about sports than nor being announcers. I think that's again, the shift to a new world that we talked about at the start of the interview. It's, you know, it's not just, singularity it's now plurality everything's coming in different directions and it's like whew, this is growth all right yes. <laughs> little by little we'll get there little by little so i, <laughs> I wanted to ask uh, just one quick follow from your disney cruise line so oh, sure. disney was such disney slash let's say disney pixar big big pillars in our because we're about the same generation and our yeah. group, you know like there was lion king disney there was toy story how was it getting to kind of react or just act out those movies that you grew up watching religiously and just leech onto? See, that part is so cool because we, we get to bring live uh, the magic of our childhood and the current children's childhood. So it was magical. It really was. There were people screaming and laughing and enjoying and and tearing up in the audience every night and getting I, I never played a princess but getting to see like a little girl like touch the hand of her favorite princess was huge like that's yeah. it's amazing it like really really fills your heart um so yeah I'll never forget that there's this one show golden mickeys where at the end um it's like this award show for Disney movies and it's production number after production number of your favorite Disney characters. And, um, at the end, right before our big finale, we're all waiting in the wings and, um, Mickey is standing behind the curtain and the audience doesn't know this, but Mickey's like standing like this 
in like an old fashioned pose and the curtain comes up and fireworks blare and the audience goes wild because Mickey Mouse is there live on their cruise ship. And it's just like, it's special, it's exciting. And like the fact that that Mickey Mouse was like, I mean, I'm not really supposed to say this, but I don't think I'll ever work for them again. But like the fact that that <laughs> was like my friend Lauren, like that's so cool, <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, that's like I, a tiny little girl in there. <laughs> I, I don't think Disney, I think it might be good to mention that as I'm still trying to build up this podcast, I don't think I'm on Disney's radar yet. yet. Yeah, so I <laughs> won't get in trouble. I probably would get in a lot of trouble for saying that. But. I mean, Mickey's real. Okay. Mickey is magic and Mickey is Mickey. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> there you go. There you go. You had pyrotechnics <laughs> in the boat? Oh, yeah. That theater was incredible. We had a Spanish web, which is these circus ropes. We had three of them that our Tarzan would swing in on and we'd spin them and the monkeys would fly. We had pyrotechnics. We had like Peter Pan flew on wires. We had a lot of fun. We had um, trap doors. Like every show I came through a trap door in the underneath the stage and we would rise up. Um, so yeah, there, there was some nice. crazy stuff. <laughs> so, okay. Going, now spinning it back to, you know, the start of the fight, fight, the good fight production company. Yeah. You guys also were able to create a, I believe it's a movie called the hunted NYC sword slayers. Uh, yes. I, did, I did see some clips of it. I believe on YouTube and on your website. And what kind, how were the challenges to making that? And, you know, let's forget the fact that it's, you know, in the vampire genre, just trying to <laughs> coordinate the fights and everything that had to do with that genre of movies or shows. Yeah. So Caitlin brought this idea to me. Um, what year are we in? 2020. Yes. This was in 20, the end of 2018. Caitlin is uh, much more involved in the fight world than I am. She's um, training to be a fight coordinator. Um, and she kind of was presented with this opportunity. So The Hunted is one of the longest running web series on the internet. It's a vampire show. Um, and it's started by Bob Chapin, who is an actor combatant and a visual effects artist living in LA. Um, he mostly does VFX now for his job, but he created this whole series and basically has like given different people within the fight world his blessing to create spin-offs of The Hunted. So Caitlin came to me and was like, wanna make a women forward action series about vampires, we can sword fight. And I was like, yeah, definitely. How do we do that? <laughs> um, because Caitlin and I had only ever produced one thing and that was theater. And theater was the world we both came from. And here we are deciding that we're gonna create an, a seven episode web series with fights and visual effects and like 50 people involved. And the whole, the entirety of the content is gonna be feature length. So like all of this material, we jumped. We did not start small. Um, it was and continues to be a learning experience. Um, I definitely have learned as a producer that I am the 
go-getter one. And I often have to be held back so that, because I'm always pushing for now, 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 that's what I want. Um, but I'm learning that if, if I push too soon, then we may end up being unprepared and wasting more time later than if we were, would have taken an extra week in pre-production or something like that. I don't have any regrets. Um, but I will say that this process has definitely been a learning curve. Um, so we are, we're currently in post-production. We, I, I feel very successful in the pre-production and production portion of the show because we went from not knowing anything to just jumping in, gathering the right people and passionate people. We didn't have a ton of money. So we were all kind of working for little to nothing, um, on something that we wanted to see happen. So this was in, um, February of 2019. We shot every weekend. Um, and we were mostly, we were in Brooklyn, Queens, and Manhattan. We had some warehouse locations and some like alleyway locations that were interesting to figure out, but we did it and we pulled it off and we had a team of about 50 on our biggest weekends. Um, and that was a huge, huge moment in me realizing that I didn't just want to be an actor because I looked at 50 people that were working on my project and realized that like I had created an opportunity for other people. Um, and I was not prepared for how exciting that was going to feel. Um, being the one responsible for not only for the well-being of the story and the project, but the well-being of my people that were there helping to make it happen, um, being able to think on the fly and, um, and problem solve and be a resource to answering everyone's questions while also starring in the show. It, it was a really, really interesting thing to learn how to do. Um, and I liked it, so I'm continuing to do it. Uh, that was a long-winded answer. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. That was great. Now that you know, it's great to have that positive intention and positive direction towards the production company and creating the hunted. But did you have any doubts for yourself that thinking like you could I can I balance all these things out? Can I invest all this time there, 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 while also trying to keep my relationships with my friends, family up and going? How did you work through that? Um, yeah, it's always a challenge. Um, for me, what usually gets sacrificed is sleep. Um, sleep usually is sacrificed first and then probably social life just for the time being while we're in production. Um, I'm always concerned if I'm doing it the right way. I'm always concerned if people are having a good time. Um, but the the feedback that I've gotten so far is that the the sets that we've run have been some of the most healthy workplaces that people have been a part of before. And to me, if I do nothing else right, I am really, really proud of that. Um, and as far as the project goes, no one's gonna believe in it until I believe in it first. So while I have doubts and, and things like that about if people will like it or whatever. I want, if I want to create something that I think is an important story and an entertaining story, I'm going to do it. Um, and 
I have to be the number one fan of it until it's made because no one knows what it is. So if I don't believe in it, then who will, you know? That's extremely true. Yeah. Especially, you know, you and I have that kind of same pathway where we have this, you know, I'm very happy that I had started this podcast because I'm giving people like yourself this opportunity to tell their story, to talk about (laughs) what they're working on. And that's been such a fun thing for me. And then once this interview is over, like my mind starts thinking, starts planning on how to, at first it was very difficult to like try to figure out a schedule. Like, Oh, I work on it this day. I look for, I talk to you to get some photos on this day, release on this day, blah, blah, blah. So it is as far as like doubts for me, again, this whole thing up and going, it's been slowly extinguished very slowly because the more mm-hmm. times, you know, we do this again, we're going back to whole practice makes better it's just more confidence and you know for you to see you building yourself up and especially with you know you and caitlin and just having this whole words of production company and also you know acting all part of your title it's just like wow i went to school with a person (laughs) we went to sunset high school (laughs) and we barely talked but we knew of each other Yes, we did. Well, our, you know, we were in different circles, but that's what's yeah. cool about adulthood is like, yeah. <laughs> if you think someone's interesting, you can just say, hey, I think you're interesting, want to talk, and now we're on a podcast together. I there we go. Amazing. There we go. So most recently, <laughs> you wrote and produced and started a short film called Also You. Tell yes. me, Tell me about that. How did you reach the people to be in this movie with you? Okay, so I was going back to do my third production of the year with Wolfbane Productions. Um, I told the uh, administrative director and my friend Ken Arpino that I wanted to make a movie while I was back there because (laughs) that particular production, we were going to have a lot of days off during the week once we got into performances. And he said, cool, I want to make a movie too. Ken um, has created this awesome web series called The Queen's Project, and it like unexpectedly went viral. So he's got experience in writing and producing as well. So we put our heads together. Um, This was last summer. I went home to be with my family for a little bit in between productions, um, and we were brainstorming via Google Hangout, I think. But first, we sat on the couch at the cast party of the show previous. We had had like three glasses of wine and we were like, all right, let's brainstorm. What are we doing? (laughs) And we decided that we wanted to make a story that would normalize bisexuality in rural Virginia. So that was like the beginning and we we're like okay how are we going to make this work so we start brainstorming the types of characters that we wanted to play that we hadn't gotten to play yet on screen um and we came up with this new idea of two couples in rural virginia who got married very young uh both heterosexual presenting couples um that realized that 
they still felt like they had some sexual exploring to do in life and felt like they had missed out on that before they got married. So they end up deciding to swing with each other um, and they have a foursome in this movie. Uh, but it's it's not a graphic movie. It's like total rom-com, <laughs> bright colors and everything. <laughs> But um, it, it turned from this idea of we'd like to normalize different types of sexuality in a place that doesn't necessarily understand them yet and um, bring a fun, happy, funny group of characters to that story um, and create a dialogue. Because to me, the, the best kind of storytelling is when you get people laughing and then you're like, boom, life truth bomb. Let's talk about this in this funny, lighthearted, happy movie because your defenses are down because you're laughing and you feel comfortable. <laughs> so let's talk about this. So yeah, it was amazing. Um, Ken's a great, great producing partner. Um, we both have the same type of work ethic. Whereas we're like, if this means we're not sleeping tonight, we're getting this done because our deadline's tomorrow. Um, so between the two of us, we got a crew of about six people together. Um, we will, we were able to get a, a financing producer. So we actually got to pay ourselves as actors and writers and pay our whole team, which was um, really, really special and a milestone for me because I had never been paid for my own work yet. Um, so that was really exciting. Um, and we really pushed for time on this one because, um, we could, we both have the same kind of energy. Um, so we got it out in February, right before COVID hit. And we got to have our two premiere screenings, one in Virginia and one in New York. Um, and it was, it was like, oh, okay, this is, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to be someone who creates series and creates movies and um, gets to share them with people like this. So we've been applying to film festivals. Um, we did, we won an award, which was really exciting for us. Um, this was an online film festival, so it still got to happen. Um, and everything else is kind of just at a standstill. We're, we're waiting to see if festivals are gonna happen this year um, or if we just kind of have to wait for um, things to pick back up. We're, we're not really sure, but it was an incredible experience. So how important is it to have a strong message in your films, let's say uh, before also with you or maybe going from also with you going forward? you know you talked about wanting to surprise the audience with ha huh, i'm going to i'm going to teach you a lesson while your defenses are down is that something you always strive for going for is it something you just like it kind of has to depend on the situation um to me i want to be a storyteller um i don't want to be like a preachy artist i don't want to say like this is the moral lesson of this show but i do want to create conversation um, to me, I feel very successful if, if my piece of work has gotten people, um, into conversations where it's like buzzing, you know, and, and people are raising their, like at our talkbacks, uh, for example, like people wanted to get their opinion in there. And to me, I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. I want 
I don't want to say this is right, this is wrong or whatever, but I do want to tell compelling stories, affect people, start conversation. Um, and if ultimately, ultimately that leads to the acceptance of a particular group of people that, um, that someone watching the movie before did not have acceptance for beforehand, then I'm like, wow, that's, that's a job well done. And I'm really thankful for that. Um, so I would say that it's very important to me to, um, tell human stories. Um, we call it my, my current writing partner, uh, Logan, which we can talk about that in a bit if you want, but, um, we're writing a show, uh, that people have called a slice of life. So it's not necessarily like, it's more character driven, more, um, people driven. And it's about the heart of situations while telling it through comedy. Um, so yeah, that's, that's very important to me moving forward from also with you. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get to your upcoming projects in a short bit, but with the premise of also with you, as you told me about swinging, and I have seen some photos on Instagram where it is <laughs> <laughs> where you are, let's say, 10 to 20% of clothes still on. Um, <laughs> how, how did you handle those intimate uh, scenes? Because I know for me, it's like the you know, whole skin to skin contact can create, you know, pheromones or hormones or whatnot. Um, that, I don't know if I could turn that off and on in, for acting. How do you do it? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that. It's super important within the industry because it's actually changed quite a bit how it's handled in the past um, like five to 10 years. So intimacy on stage and in screen, uh, as you may have heard, has caused a lot of problems on, um, in the work environment before. So there is a new position in the industry that is kind of being created and it's called an intimacy director. Um, we didn't have an intimacy director on our set, but our my director for the film, Ellie, Ellie Gravitt, has worked with an intimacy coordinator before. So um, their job primarily is to kind of educate on a safe space within the work environment and create, it's almost like choreography, to be honest. It's creating moves that still tell the story, but it's fully, uh, it's fully planned out so that there are no surprises for actors involved, um, like a dance or, or like a fight. Um, so with our film in particular, I mean, that's, that's a very, intimate and sexy situation that like not a lot of people watching have gotten into before and so we wanted to do it right of course but on set um the way that it was handled so the day before ellie had emailed us her shot list of everything that was going to be covered on set that day and she said she sent it individually to everyone and said hi everyone this is my plan for tomorrow and she had divided it into categories of cute stuff, funny stuff, and hot stuff. So, cause it's a comedy. So oh, yeah. it was presented in, there were some funny situations. <laughs> um, so she had written it all out and said, if you have 
um, an issue with any number of these things, please email me separately tonight and we will come up with a game plan to reconfigure this list. Um, so even I, as the producer, didn't receive any of the messages that anyone had sent to her. Um, I was also an actor in that room. So she kept everything very private. Um, and then the next day there was a new shot list sent out of what we would be covering. And um, we kind of, we had all been on set together for four days already. So we were comfortable and um, we were all friends. And we kind of, we had lunch, we did a little like high five and uh, we, we got, we started with um, things that were a little bit easier to execute. Um, and then moved forward into the more um, in detail, sexy stuff. So um, yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question because it's super important moving forward in the industry that things are handled this way as far as intimacy goes, because we don't want to stop telling sexy stories. We don't want to eliminate this from our storytelling because it's part of what it is to be a human, um, but making sure that everyone is safe, comfortable, and happy with the work environment is like 100% important. That as a non-actor, just seeing, you know, again, someone I've, I've known since high school in those, you know, in those photos and acting, you know, stage photos, I was like, oh, wow, that's, that takes a lot of (laughs) confidence in your body too, because you're, you're exposed out there. And B yeah. is just trying to, again, the intimacy, intimacy coach, that's perfect because, you know, you got to find that stopping point in case, let's say, to kind of keep everything in the professional limelight because you don't want things to start merging with professional and personal. Definitely. And so how did you get those, get that confidence in your body for, you know, filming also with you? Because I have seen you do some workout Instagram videos. So. <laughs> That would be a whole other podcast in itself (laughs) of the journey that I have been on with uh, body positivity, man. It is, it has been up and down. I will tell you, Um, I, I am a firm believer in taking care of yourself, but I'm also a firm believer that every body is designed beautifully and we all have a different canvas. Um, so part of like, part of being a producer, I want to put all different kinds of bodies on the screen, myself included. Um, because I, I'm like, I've got that athletic kind of more built body that you don't really see on the big screen very often. But if I'm the one making the work, then I'll be on the big screen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but as far as confidence goes, I mean, like I said, that's a whole, whole journey um, <laughs> of, of a lot of intimate work with myself and um, uh, being intentional with my mind in regards to how it feels about my body. Because especially in the work that I do, my mind, body, and spirit are my instrument. It is how I get work. It is how I create work. So it's, it has been a very roller coaster, but important journey for me to take to get to, 
be the point of being confident enough to put myself in those situations on screen and on stage. Yeah. And also just in life too, because if you're not confident in yourself and you go out to, let's say the grocery store, it's going to show. And then next thing you know, you start twisting into a different person, which, you know, you're that bubbly blonde sitting in the hallway talking, you know, with the, <laughs> let's, let's keep you that way. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you, I mean, yeah. I've got, I've got a little darkness too, but <laughs> we all do, don't we? We all do. Uh, so also with you, it is, you know, got the awards, was in the festivals, when can we see it uh, as people that are not part of that festival? When is it available for everyone? So you actually missed it. Uh, oh. we, <laughs> earlier in March, we did a little COVID special to spread a little joy. Um, and we screened it online for, or we, sh sorry, streamed it online for a week. Um, and now we are going to see how we do in the festival circuit. And um, I would be looking out for it in this year or next year to be fully accessible online. Um, it's on Ken's YouTube, or it was on Ken's YouTube and will probably be on his again, The Queen's Project. Um, and you will know, I will be blasting it on social media. <laughs> Perfect. You know, that's also what's great about social media. I mean, I described social media, uh, I'm not sure to like maybe a friend on the podcast or just in, in talking that, you know, social media, it's like we're trying to balance a pencil on your finger. You know, if you sway one way too much, it's going to just fall in a negative direction or it's going to fall too positive. You got to have that good symmetry. Gotta just Definitely. Straight up. <laughs> and my last question for you, because we've been, you know, this, this is fun. Uh, you might be one of the first recurring guests on my show. Hey! hey! Uh, so you talked about how you are working on another show. So right now, uh, you're writing something with your co-writer. Yeah. What, and you describe that as a slice of life. What else can you say to your fans or other people that follow your production company to get them excited for the rest of 2020? Because, you know, obviously everything's a little dark right now. What are you yeah. working on that maybe you can say is slated for 2021? Or just in general, what are you working on to get the fans rallied up and excited to watch sure. your product? Sure. Well, as far as what I'm working on for projects, um, my best friend Logan and I are writing a show called Numbered. It is, um, I think you're going to find a theme in the things that I write. Um, <laughs> so it is about two women, an unlikely friendship who, um, and roommate situation who find out early on in their friendship that they both keep a list of their sexual partners. And in the pilot, they find out that they're at the same number and my character being the free spirit hippie loving lady that she is thinks it's important to throw a party and that is how this series begins um every episode there is a flashback or two of partners past a la a sexy calendar photo shoot so partner will be plucked from their environment put in a photo shoot setting with a number hanging on their neck um and the voiceover will be either my character or Logan's character recalling the memory and they're going to lip sync to our memory, kind of how they do in Drunk History. Have you yeah. seen that? Yep, yep. So each episode we have a couple of flashbacks and move, moving forward, obviously partners, the number of partners rises. Um, but as you see, 
um, throughout the show as partners come and go, the real partnership that lasts is the one between these two. Um, so basically, I mean, it's a show about, if I had five seconds to tell you what it's about, I'd say it's about sex lives, being a woman and friendship. <laughs> so um, we just did a Zoom reading of our first season and um, when she gets back to the city next week, we're going to start season two and finish implementing the feedback for season one. Um, our goal for that before COVID hit was to start making treatments and pitch packets for networks because we, we feel really strongly about this one. Um, and now that we're in the situation that we are, we're just gonna continue making the work um, until there's an opportunity to share it. Um, as far as what's going on in the world and um, things that I could say to keep going, half of what I'm gonna say is I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> um, I myself personally am relying on the CARES Act until July 31st to pay my rent. And then I don't know what's going to happen. I'm literally applying for like contact tracing jobs and uh, like literally heard from Affleck the other day that they want me to interview. And I'm telling people, I'm being honest that like, I'm only interested in working for them for a year until my industry is back and up and running and maybe even less if it's um before that but theater is not going to come back for a while it's going to be one of the last things to um open right now broadway is set for september 4th but i imagine they might push that back um, because theater theaters can't survive off of social distancing so i was just talking to a friend saying that maybe we should make some theater in the park or make some you know little little videos to keep people's spirits high and then honestly right now i'm thankful for the time off because i can participate in this movement fully fledged and um without a busy schedule so i guess what i would say is that um i don't really know how things are going to pan out but i know that i want to be prepared for when my industry is open um, and people should expect to hear from me because I'm going to be ready to go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's <laughs> that, I mean, you're people need to, I, I've talked to a few people and they're like either a super bored or B like busier than ever. It's like, I'm, I'm busier than ever just because a this and B it's yeah. like, I don't want to sit around and just wallow and play video games all day. It's like, I want to, make sure that the time that's extra given to me, you know, unfortunately through COVID and uh, I want to make sure I take the most out of it and just make sure Absolutely. That, you know, again, striving for better, always striving for better. We have an incredible opportunity right now. This will never happen again. We've oh, yeah. been given extra time to, to look inward, to look outward, to reset and to do what we need to make sure that when we, when the world is fully up and running again, that it's different. Mm -hmm. And how, how incredible that we kind of get a reset button. Like that's cool. So while it has been kind of crazy to have everything be put on pause, I, I do see that there can be goodness from this. Exactly. Silver lining. Silver lining. For sure. <laughs>
Sophie, thank you so much for sitting down and chatting with me from across the country. This is great getting to talk with you again and reconnect. So very. Oh my God. It's been awesome. Thank you for having me. Of course. Do you have any follow-up questions for the guest? Put them in the comments below and I'll work to get them answered for you. For more content from KC Media, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook.